You know, the Lord, in that last song, He gave me a word this morning. It was really more of a question. And it was, what is my presence worth to you? Have you ever really thought about that? What's his presence worth to you? First of all, understand the the power of the Holy Spirit is the gift of that relationship that we talk about. You can only experience his day-to-day Holy Spirit in your lives with relationship. Now, you can go somewhere and you can experience the presence of God without being in relationship with Him. And oftentimes, the way you're going to receive that is emotionally. We see that all the time. But to experience His Holy Spirit every day in your lives, what would that be worth to you? And and I, I don't... I don't ask that question flippantly. I don't ask it. I mean, literally, God gave me that question in this last song. Because I truly believe that Jesus wants to know that you know that answer in your heart. Because do we pursue Him Because of an emotion, do we pursue him because he can take care of our problems? Do we pursue him because he's giving us something to do in life? Or maybe he gives us a reason to live. Do we pursue him for those reasons or do we pursue him because of him? Wow, that's a big difference, guys. See, because if you pursue Him because of Him, because of recognizing who He is, recognizing what He did on the cross for you, not for everybody, but for you. When you understand the value of that, then there is nothing, understand me, nothing, that will get in the way of you acquiring that. Nothing. You'll give up everything. You'll give up even those things that you hold most dear, even those things that you think, well, God would never want me to give this up. I guarantee you there is nothing, nothing in the Word of God that says He wants you to hold back something from Him. He's to be number one. Seek first the kingdom of God, right? His righteousness. Matthew talks about what is the kingdom of God like? It's like a merchant who finds this amazing pearl. This pearl of great value. More valuable than anything else. See, he sees the value in it, and what he does, it says in Scripture, is he sells everything he has. Everything he has, he scrapes together to buy this one thing. He said, that's 
what the kingdom of God is like. Understand in that, we talk about relationship all the time. And honestly, we talk about cost all the time. But I don't think that there are many that understand that. Because, see, the cost is not in this point here, this point there, maybe a little bit of cost over here. No, it costs that merchant everything. Everything. It costs us the very things that we hold the most dear because they're the things in place before God. Now, I'm not saying that from a human standpoint because that's honestly what the monks do. Well, nothing will be a cost. So so I go and I separate myself from everybody else. I go live on a mountain, which that part would be cool. But I go and live on a mountain. I don't speak to anybody. I'm by myself. I, I just receive the Lord. Problem is, the biggest thing's in the way then. That's their pride. See, God said, whatever you give up for me, I will return in this life 100-fold. He told his disciples that. 100-fold. Whatever you give up, whatever you lay down for the Lord. So it's not a matter of doing without. Do you understand? It's a matter of letting Him do it within. And he just wants to be number one, guys. He wants to be, I, I know this, this feels like a heavy word and, and I had no plan for that and, but it is. It is because we're really close. We're really close. And he's got to know that you're willing to give up everything for him. Are you willing to even give up what you think you know? Boy, that one was a tough one for me. Well, at least this I can hang on to, God. I know this is true. And then come to find out, well, no, I was seeing that wrong. I had to give it to him. Why? Because he had something better. It actually was the same thing from a different perspective. What what made it better? The perspective he gave me. So what's it worth to you guys? What's his presence worth? If you knew, if you knew Tuesday night that the Holy Holy Spirit was going to fall like Pentecost, I would imagine there wouldn't be a single one of you not here. I wouldn't, I would imagine there wouldn't be a single one of you that didn't tell ten friends. Now see, the problem is, he doesn't tell us when he does stuff. But he does that on purpose because what he really wants to do isn't corporately here. It is in his relationship with you individually. So what are you willing to do? To carry that forward. 
I find it interesting. And, and again, I'll say it again. Man, go through the Gospels. Go through them all the time. Go through them each week. I'm going through the Gospels. And, and not that you want to forget the rest of the Word of God. That's not my point. But right now, if you want to get to know Jesus, get to know Jesus. Get to know His Word. Get to know what He, what He told His disciples. Get to know what they didn't get. Right? It's so funny to, to read through the Gospels only to realize that they didn't get it until the power of the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost. And then all of a sudden, wow, they got it. Peter was a different person. Took his foot out of his mouth and he was a different guy. Right? But what is it worth to you? And many of you have sacrificed huge. Many of you have thought, I, I've sacrificed everything. I can't sacrifice anymore. And it's not a matter of level of sacrifice. It's not a matter that I've sacrificed nine out of ten and God, you gotta let me keep the tenth. It's not even a matter of a thought process of sacrifice. It's a matter of, I want your voice. I know you love me. I know you, you want me to be close to you and you close to me. So I trust you. I trust you with my family. I trust you with my friends. I trust you with my job. I trust you with my school. I trust you with everything. I'm going to seek you with everything I am. See, Satan gets in and he breaks that trust. How does he break that trust? He breaks that trust oftentimes in worry. Oftentimes thing that, things that come into our life that we can't control, that we want to worry about because we cannot control it. That's a tough one. Because there, there's not a soul on this planet that has not dealt with that. I mean, yes, some are more prone to it than others, but there's not a single person that hasn't dealt with that. You know, Jesus was serious when he said, take my yoke. I've already dealt with the junk. I've already dealt with this whole world, this whole death. I defeated it. So I, I literally give you a yoke that if you choose to take it on will be so much lighter for you. But he doesn't turn us around, throw it on our back. He just holds it out. Says, do you want it? Do you want to take it? So I just want to encourage you in that. Don't let anything get in the way of moving forward in your relationship with Christ. Nothing. Not your job, not your family, not your kids, not your husband, not your wife, not your parents. Now, by the way, don't use that as an excuse for your parents. <laughs> well, you know, I can't obey you because I need to read the Lord's word right now. and That's not what I'm talking about. I'm looking at all the young people. <laughs> no, it's don't let anything get in the way of your, your relationship with the Lord. Nothing. Nothing. So today, we're going to be going through Isaiah 
the Lord gave me a passage. Actually, he gave it to me a week and a half ago. Um, Alex read it to me, and and Lord said, hang on to that, because we're going to be using that. But before we do that, he wants me to read a couple of prophetic words to you. And I'm assuming because he wants you to hear it, but in reality, he told me during the, I think it was the fourth or fifth song, that, that he wants me to ask entrance into his chamber and declare it in his chamber. So I can't tell you what the purpose, whether it's that or for you guys or for both, I'm sure it's for both. But I want to encourage you, a couple of you have seen this, I, I know because um, it was sent to more than just me. But when I read both of these, especially the second one, just the power of his Holy Spirit just fell on me so strongly. And it was a declaration of now. It was a declaration of Ignition Church and what he is doing. Father, I ask entrance into your chamber in Jesus' name that I might in obedience declare these words that you have asked me to declare. Thank you, Father. This first one is by Wanda Alger. Now, by the way, I don't know either of these people, but the word will resonate. Given some recent events that are making national headlines, I feel compelled to share a dream I had in 2015 in which I had an open vision of the coming days. The weight of its message was clear, and I believe we are getting closer and closer to a shift we could never imagine and a reality we've never known. I was walking down a road with many people, All of the sudden, behind my right shoulder, a huge golden beam of light from the heavens shone down and began to move across the sky in front of me from my right to my left. It was massive. It was evident it was not man-made, but from another realm. It began to engulf everything it touched. At the same time, I looked up to my right, and in the skies was a huge screen that opened up in front of me. On it, I saw a map of the world. It was as if I were seeing and experiencing this phenomenon from two different dimensions. I saw this all-encompassing golden light start at the eastern part of the map near Australia, and it began to move slowly west across the entire globe. The light filled the entire sky and was full of glory and power. It seemed to move across the center of the map, touching different countries at varying degrees. I knew that what I was seeing and experiencing was global and affecting everyone everywhere. I heard myself shouting, it's happening, it's happening, and my heart began to race with excitement. This light was multidimensional. It not only went across the surface of the earth, but went underneath in varying degrees of color and richness. 
The more it penetrated, the deeper its color and impact. It was powerful, distinct, and moved with ultimate authority. I was immediately overwhelmed with joy and awe and fell to my knees as I realized the immensity of what was happening. I cried out, it's a sign, get ready. I knew it was the weight of his glory covering the earth. Yet even as I was filled with wonder and awe, I could sense the fear around me, the uncertainty of what was taking place. Though half of the people were caught up in worship and adoration, the other half were on their knees in absolute terror. As people looked up, dazed and in shock of what was taking place, I shouted out with hesitation, It's coming, yes. I could see that for those who were not ready, it was bringing dread and fear. But for those who believed, it was going to be awesome. I realized that the fear of the Lord was coming in great glory and power and everything in its path was going to be affected. Depending on the state of each one's heart, this move would bring either worship and awe or fear and dread. This dread not only signaled a charge in my life to sound an alarm to the church, but fueled my passion to call us up higher in holiness so that we could see the Lord in his fullness. I see the bridegroom, the captain of the hosts, standing in the heavens with fire in his eyes. And as he looks upon the earth, his heart burns with fierce love for his bride and his absolute determination to cover the earth with the knowledge of his Father's glory. He sees the sin, the compromise, the lack of holiness and righteousness in the church. It is the zeal of the Lord that will compel him to come in an unprecedented move of the Spirit, which will carry the fear and terror of the Lord in such great power and presence that everyone will fall to their knees. There they were in great fear, for God is with the generation of the righteous, Psalm 14.5. This is not the rapture or the return of Jesus. This is a move of the Spirit that will utterly change everything. And everyone, in such a way, we will no longer do life as we did before. It goes on, but the Lord wants me to declare something in between here. See, that first part has taken place. In fact, the beam of light that you saw begin from Australia over to here in 2015 was Lana, is what he told me. It was the opening up of prophetic words that we can then count on and hope and believe in. It will be a wake-up call demonstrating the reality of His kingdom authority and power. It will not be like any other past moves of the Holy Spirit. It will not limit itself to a few hungry souls, but will permeate and saturate all in its path. Jesus is set on revealing the full weight of his Father's love, power, and holiness in order to energize and empower his bride for the work ahead. 
This move will destroy all double-mindedness, self-righteousness, greed, pride, and self-promotion. This move will cleanse us, refine us, purify us, and deliver us from the evil one's deception and trickery. It will expose those who are right with God and those who are not. It will shine the light in the darkness and all the rats and rodents of wickedness in the high places will be scrambling for protection, only to find they have been utterly unseated and undone. This move of the fear and terror of the Lord will turn things inside out and upside down, for the rules will change. It will no longer be the kingdoms of this world that will determine the course of history, but the kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. His ultimate authority as King of the earth will be made manifest, and those who serve Him out of a pure heart will be given even greater access favor, and heavenly authority to rule in the midst of his enemies. Psalm 110, 1-2 That which was by faith will now be made visible, and heaven's justice will be executed on the earth as he makes our enemies his footstool. But it will not come without a cost. Things that are taking place even now should serve as a reminder that no one is exempt from trial, hardship, or pain. Being a follower of Christ does not guarantee an easy road or carefree journey. Matthew 5, 44 through 45. Those who are selling that kind of walk are peddlers and fools. The only safe place on this side of heaven is to be under the shelter of the Most High God, Psalm 91. The access to that place is through righteousness and a holy life. There are no shortcuts. It is only as we rightly fear the Lord that we are kept from the enemy's hold and assured of a righteous reward. Who is the man who fears the Lord? He will teach him in the way he should choose. He will dwell at ease and his descendants will inherit the land. The counsel of the Lord is with those who fear him, and he will make his covenant known to them, Psalm 25, 12-14. We must be prepared. When this move comes, we will be on our knees in worship, or will we be on our knees in worship, or on our knees in terror? Will we rejoice at the tangible presence of His power and glory, or will we tremble in fear due to the sin and compromise in our lives? Now is the time to turn away from excuses and apathy. Now is the time to embrace the cross and lay down any sense of entitlement in our lives. The Father is calling for absolute obedience, surrender, and holiness. There are no gray areas in his presence. He is about to burn up all his enemies and utterly consume the lies, the strongholds, and the idolatry that is poisoning the church. There will be no doubt when this move comes, and none will be able to deny his presence. The only question will be if we are ready. 
pray that the fear of the Lord would grip our hearts even now and draw us closer to his throne of grace so we can worship him in awe and trembling at his glorious coming. Before I go on to this next one, I want to point out that that first one, the Lord told me is a global word. It's a global word of preparation of what he's doing to that remnant all over the world. He wants them to be ready. I, w- I was just reading yesterday in Luke how he said, I came to bring fire. I wish that this world were already kindled, but it wasn't. There was no kindling for him to spark. See, it's different this time. It's different this time because the kindling he is already assembling and has been. And he is going to light a fire through the power of his Holy Spirit that is going to spread faster. I can't tell you the vision that the Lord gave me and what he told me the other day, but I can tell you this. It goes global instantly. It's not a slow thing that builds over months and years and whatever. This fire will catch greater and faster than they caught in California. When they're standing across the river in Redding and looking at the fire across the river and a spark came and hit their side and instantly their side was ablaze. That's what it's going to be like. That's what it's going to be like. This last word. Lord told me this is for ignition. And that's what I declare in his chamber. In Jesus name. A tsunami of my spirit is about to hit the east coast. Of the United States of America. And sweep across this great land. From the east to the south. Moving across into the west, then north into Canada and down into Mexico, the entire western hemisphere will be affected by this revival and awakening, says the Lord. The only thing the Lord wants me to add there is that it will sweep the globe and not just northern America. Oh, America, my beautiful, prepare for the impact, for a tsunami of my spirit is about to come upon you. Nothing can stop what I am about to do in this nation. Nothing devised by man, nor any demon in hell, can stand against this move of God. Only a warning sound can be given. Shock waves will be felt throughout this country and around the world. Wave upon wave will come. It will be relentless. It will come from person to person from church to church, from region to region, and from state to state. For I am breaking open the fountains of the great deep that lie within my people. Genesis 7.11 It is the power of God that they never knew was there. 
but I have had reserved for them all along. They will know who they are, whose they are, and what is at their disposal. They are coming forth with my power and my anointing to take back what has been stolen from them. They will take new ground in my name, fully weaponized by my spirit, says the Lord. Nothing will be left untouched by these waters. Everything will be affected. With the tsunami will come a tremendous shaking in the land. I, the Lord God, will shake everything. Every stone that has been laid by the hands of men will be torn down. Only those stones that are laid by the hands of God shall remain because I am the Lord God. I am the architect. I am the builder. Return to your first love. America, I'm calling you back. Back to the foundations of what this country was built upon. The truth of my word. I am building my church. I am building my tabernacle. I am building my temple in this day and in this hour. My people, they are my temple. Individually and corporately. They make up the bride of Christ. Individual temples making up a larger house of the living God. This shaking will be unlike any other shaking that has ever been felt in the earth or in the body of Christ. Lines will be drawn. Sides will be taken. Some will be, some will reject, but more will come in. Choose this day who you will serve. The battle cry of this revival is choose this day whom you will serve. If God be God, serve Him. If Baal be God, serve Him. It is not a showdown of the ages. or It is a showdown of the ages. It's like Elijah on top of Mount Carmel. You cannot serve two masters. The days of sitting on the fence are over. I, the Lord God, I say to you today, choose this day whom you will serve. If God be God, serve Him. Take Him at His word. Listen, believe, and do. Walk in obedience to whatever I am saying to you in this hour. My sheep know my voice. They hear my cry. They listen to my voice and my voice alone. They speak the language of my kingdom. And all other voices are foreign language. This is critical. To listen for my voice of instruction. And whatever I may say to you, this is what I require. But to hear my voice, you must come into the secret place of the Most High. The Holy of Holies. You must come back to a covenantal relationship with me. Return to your first love. That is that relationship that we've talked about. America, I am calling you back. Back to the foundations of what this country was built upon. The truth of my word. I have heard the cries of my remnant, says the Lord. The tide is shifted. I have heard from heaven and I am sending down my answers. Blessing follows the shaking. 
There will be a great shaking in the land, followed by tremendous blessing. Some may have thought it was too late for America, but I want you to know today that I have heard the cries of my remnant. I have seen your tears in the nighttime hour, and America, you will shine your light once again. America will be a lighthouse to the nations once again. She will shine with the flames of my fire, burning hot with the glory of God. She will be a burning bush for me, humanity on fire with my glory. Her trees will not be consumed. America's trees will shine brightly with the glory of God. Hallelujah. They are coming forth with my power and my anointing to take back what has been stolen from them. They will take new ground in my name, fully weaponized by my spirit. America, once again, will affect nations for the kingdom of God, and nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. America is rising once again. America is on the rise. If she listens to the Most High God, if she humbles herself before my hand, Second Chronicles 7.14 says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Father, we worship you. and We praise you. Let these words be so. I declare them in Jesus' name in, in your chamber. And Father, in, in obedience, I'll remain in, in this chamber as we open up Isaiah 50. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Turn to Isaiah chapter 50. Lord gave me a word yesterday. Um, it was interesting because he, he first told me Donald Trump would be president for eight years. That was a year and a half before he was president. Then I had heard, I can't remember, the lady with the pink hair? Cat Kerr, yeah. I had heard through her that Mike Pence was going to be eight years after that. And then the Lord confirmed that in my spirit. So that gave us 16 years. Yesterday, he told me the one that's going to be after that. It's pretty cool. Oh, yeah. I mean, no, 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 not in here. No. No, but he told me Nikki Haley was going to be our president after that. Now, I don't know if she'll be the vice president when Pence runs although I kind of got that impression. But I say this to you because we are to pray for His will. We are to pray for this country. We are to pray for the fighting against the enemy. We know the destroyer is about to be bound. And guys, that is close. I mean close. I can't even tell you how close. For the longest time, the Lord did not reveal to me that, but he has. 
This is the readying of the bride. These 24 years in this country will bring a peace to this world. Will bring a foundation to that remnant that will very quickly not be a remnant because of how fast things are going to go. But understand that your involvement with that is your choice. Goes back to what we said before. Are you going to go after him with everything that you are? Are you hungry for him to not allow anything to get in the way? See, Isaiah was one of those prophets. And it it was tough. In, In the Old Testament, to be a prophet, it was tough. It was tough because if you weren't directly hearing from the Lord and close to the Lord and you did something wrong, it will cost you your life. But then you also look at these prophets and... Now, I know back then was tough anyways, but, I mean, they, like, had it extra tough. I'm here to declare that those giftings that that God did with those prophets back then, they didn't stop. And that that same accountability is coming to his bride. So let's look at... Isaiah chapter 50, we're going to begin at verse 4. And I'm, I'm reading today out of the NLT. We'll begin with verse 4. The sovereign Lord has given me his words of wisdom. This, this is uh, Isaiah. Words of wisdom so that I'm, I know how to comfort the weary. Morning by morning he wakens me and opens my understanding to his will. Did you get that? See, the Lord didn't say to Isaiah, okay, here's what you're going to have over the next five years. I'm going to give you this blueprint of what I want to do. I, I mean, I'll, I'll work with you every day, but, but kind of go by this blueprint. And, and, and then, you know, you're a good man. I know you'll be on the right track. Did he do that? No, that's, that's not what it says here. It says, morning by morning, he wakens me and opens my understanding to his will. See, it's important because we can, if we don't seek him every day, every moment of every day, we live in sinful flesh. We live in sinful flesh that can go off to the right or to the left. You're right, you're left. Our sinful flesh takes us in the wrong direction automatically. Right? We, that, that's why Paul talks about coming against himself daily. I died daily so that I might know your will. He said, I come before you. You wake me up every morning and you say, this is my will. It reminds me of, I, I, I think it was the, um, I think it was the last Holy Ghost movie where it had this Indian guy in there who, ever since he got saved, the, or it might have been the one before that, ever since he got saved, the Lord woke him up at 4.30 every morning and told him what to do that day. It's extraordinary. 
And, and I would encourage you to watch that movie because they literally he wakes up and, and they're all together and the cameras are on him. And he said, the Lord told me this morning, we're going to go to this little village and there's a witch doctor there and, and I'm to declare Christ. And, and that's what they did. I had no plans to do it. Another day he woke up and, and, and the Lord told him, go to such and such a street, go down this street to this temple, you'll see this guy, he's got a gold robe on and a turban, I need you to talk to him and tell him about me. And sure enough, I mean the cameras are getting him before they leave, and the cameras are getting him when, when they're walking through it, and he's walking, he's looking, he goes, I know this guy's gotta be here somewhere, and sure enough, boom, over there. You see this white turban. Oh, I think that's him. Walk close and he's got this, this goldish, yellow, whatever robe on. And he goes to talk to him. And this is, this is a guru, which a guru is over a thousand priests, I think, maybe, or what they're called. I'm not sure. But I mean, he is a regional guy, a guru. He's, he's a big deal. He had, he had over a thousand priests underneath him, which each priest was over a congregation. I mean, this, this is a big, this is a big guy. He goes and talks to him and, and he said, he said, I am here to tell you about Jesus Christ. And the guy, this is in India. Okay. Where they cut people's heads off for believing in Christ. This guy looks at him and he said, I had a dream that you would come to me today. And he said, this Jesus that you speak of has been in my dreams, and I want to know more about him. He sits down with this guy. He shares Christ. The guy gets saved. Okay, now this is a guy who would lose his life for getting saved. And yet, what was important to him? Truth. What was important to him? Relationship with the real God. Not the literal three million gods that I think they have in India. It must be packed there. It must be really crowded. I don't know. But he wanted relationship with the God. The God. So morning by morning, we're to wake up and say, Lord, what do you have for me today? Where do you want me to step today? What do you want me to do today? Now, it isn't that he doesn't give us pictures of where we're going in direction. Of course he does. He did Isaiah as well. But how we step with those movements toward his prophecy, toward what he wants, is how he directs us each day. What does he want from us today? What does he want from you right now? What does he want you to get right now? Is your heart open to hear it? See, Isaiah said, he comes to me morning by morning and wakes me up and opens my understanding. See, we have to be willing to listen to him before our understanding is going to be opened. I'll submit this. You will not get this. If you get nothing else, get this. You will not understand his will for your life until you proceed in relationship with him. You can understand principles. You can pull those right out of the word of God. 99% of Christians live by those principles. Or, or that's, that's what they think they're supposed to do. 
But see, it's that remnant that lives in that relationship. Because see, principles have a varied cost. Principles really cost according to whatever you want to control. But a relationship will cost you everything. But it will give you everything times a thousand. Everything times a thousand. So each day, he opened Isaiah's mind to understanding his will. Verse 5, the sovereign Lord has spoken to me, and I have listened. I have not rebelled nor turned away. I offered my back to those who beat me and my cheeks to those who pull out my beard. I did not hide my face from mockery and spitting because the sovereign Lord helps me. I will not be disgraced. What he's saying here, I didn't take myself out of the world like the monks did. The monks wanted relationship, wanted purity, wanted all this, so they go and live on some mountain somewhere so they can't be affected by the world. Problem with that is they can't affect the world. He's saying, I didn't take myself out of the world. I didn't take myself out of the place of those people that would hate me, that would ridicule me, that would think, yeah, you're whacked. You go to a cult. Right? I didn't remove myself from those people that would beat me. He said, in fact, I exposed my back to them. I gave them my cheeks. I leaned forward my face for them to spit upon. And whatever picture you're getting, it's not the picture of saying, na 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 Right? It's saying, I love you. I love you. And I will not turn back. No matter what you do, I will not turn back because Jesus loves you. He did not hide himself from that mockery. Middle of verse 7 says, Therefore I have set my face like a stone, determined to do His will, and I know that I will not be put to shame. He who gives me justice is near. Before I go on with that. In reading this, you can't help but get a feel for the resolve in Isaiah. And, and you see it in so many of the prophets. Old and New Testament. The resolve. I mean, you, you have to have resolve to go into Jerusalem knowing you're going to be jailed and then killed. Which Paul did. And, and, and it wasn't just that Paul was told by the Lord. Paul then was told in the physical realm by the prophet who said, he who owns this belt will be tied up. You know, and, and, and before he went to Jerusalem, he said, he said, friends, he said, don't make this any harder on me than it is. I know what's going to happen to me when I go to Jerusalem. But see, it didn't stop him from going. It didn't stop him. Why? Because he knew it was God's will. He knew that the fruit of that will take root and flourish for eternity. Do you know that each of us here is a fruit of that decision Paul made? 
Because we've all gleaned from that part of the word. We're, we're actually direct, direct fruit from it. Simply because we've seen that story, we've studied Paul's life, we've talked about it in here. So if you look at it from Paul's standpoint, he gave up his life knowing full well that he would. But do you think he knew all of us that were going to be affected by it 2,000 years later? Of course not. Of course not. But by faith, he knew that that word would take root and be powerful and pass down to generations. See, Paul's not done receiving the fruit of his labor. Why? Because his labor lingers. When we build relationship with Christ and we listen to his will daily, and we walk in that will, no matter what kind of influence we have, whether you talk to one person in your life or talk to 10 million people in your life, it doesn't matter. Because it is what you do with what God has given you when he tells you to do it. It's like the parable of the ten minas, where he gave ten to one servant, five to another, and one to another. Or Actually, it was five, two, and one. And the five turned it into ten. The two, I believe it was two, turned it into five. And the one went hid it. You know, that, that's an extraordinary parable. Because most Christians don't understand that that's not a picture of heaven and hell. But that all three servants, read Luke, all three servants were his servants. They were his children. He didn't send that unfaithful servant to hell. But there was such a lack of reward for that servant. So in this, the perception of, I don't know what effect this is going to take, but I will do your will. And again, like I said, it doesn't matter your voice. If, you, if he puts one person in your life, and that's it, and you're to affect that one person, you have no idea where that will generate to. You have no idea. And it's not your responsibility to even worry about it. It's your responsibility like that like that servant that was given two. He wasn't given as much as the other one, the guy who had five. He was only given two. But he was faithful, he, she, whatever, was faithful with what he was given. He was faithful. And his reward was the same as the one who had five. He said, well done, good and faithful servant. You've completed it. Now you will rule with me. In Luke, in Luke it's an interesting thing, because it's also in Matthew, but in Luke, it's an interesting thing, because he said, I will place you over cities. I find that interesting because their training wasn't to be over cities. Their training was financial. Their training was investment. Amina is, is, is a monetary amount. 
Right? So they were given a monetary amount to do something with it, to invest it, to increase it, build a business, whatever, to make more money. Right? That was their training. And, and what was, what was their, their, uh, uh, their prize, if you will? It was to be over cities. Interesting how, how maybe the best people to lead cities are business people. Perhaps the best people to lead a country would be a businessman. Who would have thought? Sorry, Lord just gave me that epiphany just now. But it's what we do here is what makes all the difference in the world. He said, so I set my face like a stone determined to do his will no matter what. No matter what. I wake up today and no matter what, God, you you have either already given me something to do or you're about to give me something to do, but no matter what, I will walk in that. I will walk in that no matter what. See, that part is our choice. And and by the way, that's that's not an easy choice. Because, the, see, the no matter what, is tough to understand, well, God would never bring this against me. Well, God would never really, you know, He. I know we say I'll jump off a cliff for God, but really he wouldn't want me to jump off a cliff. You know, when you start setting parameters, what if, what if he, just like he did Jesus, what if he gave you angels to... Now, by the way, I'm not telling people to jump off a cliff. Let me make sure that's very clear, okay? But what if the only way that you knew he gave you angels to protect you was to jump off a cliff? And he said, jump off a cliff, see what happens. And you jump off and they carry you down and you know that you have this protection with you. See, if we don't obey him, there are things that we're going to never know about what he wants in our lives, what is in our lives, what he desires for us to do within us and through us. So so it's obedience, period. Not obedience within these parameters. You know, not obedience, well, well, Lord, I, I pretty much have my career path picked out. You know, I'm, I'm a senior in college, pretty much have my, my career path picked out, so, so tell me your will within these parameters. Good luck with that. Because if you really want his will, you're going to find out that they're not going to be within those parameters. So he determined to do his will. He set his face like a stone because he knew he would not be put to shame. Verse 8, and this gets into, uh, boy, I love this part. He who gives me justice is near. And, and you almost get a sense, you almost get a sense here of, or I do anyway, of, of Isaiah declaring this to the atmosphere. And think about, think about this. First of all, he's gone through and he's laid out this justification like he would before a court. That this is what I have done. He wakes me up. This is what he does. I walk in obedience. I set my stone face to do his will. Then something shifts here. 
And he says, he who gives me justice in near is near. Who will dare to bring charges against me now? Where are my accusers? Let them appear. See, the sovereign Lord is on my side. Who will declare me guilty? Or in today's vernacular, who in the world would dare to declare me guilty? That's, that's the inference there. That's the tone behind this. All my enemies will be destroyed like old clothes that have been eaten by moths. Now I want to, something the Lord's laid on my heart and I, I just, I just want to make clear with this. Because oftentimes, it, well, I'll, I'll say what I've done. I'm not going to assume it's what you've done, but, but I could tell you, you know, as I've been a Christian up until the last few years, um, I always thought when it talked about enemies, it talked about demonic principalities, or fallen angels, the, the demonic spirits, all that. It's not what it's talking about. Because or at least not all of what it's talking about, because, see, those those ones were already taken care of. When he said, who will dare to accuse me? Did I go out? Turn up the yellow one. Okay. Um, test, test, test. Is that all right? Okay. <laughs> Someone's going to have to remind me where I was. I'll shut that off. All right. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Turn it up a little more. Yeah, just, yeah there you go. Because I'll just back off it if I need to. See, I used to think that enemies were, you know, the principalities, those that would come against us, um, you know, in, in the spirit realm and, and whatever. And, and what he has shown me is, yes, those are our enemies, but that is also not all-inclusive. Because recognize here in Isaiah 50, those have already been silenced. Where are his accusers? His accusers are already gone. There are no more accusers. And yet, he turns around and says... All my enemies will be destroyed like old clothes that have been eaten by moths. See, there are enemies in the physical realm against his bride. There are enemies in the physical realm against you and I. It drives me insane. Okay, I I get the fact that we are a country with religious liberty. I'm all for that. Everybody can worship how and who they decide to worship. It's in our Constitution. I think that's right. Just like Jesus wants everyone to have their own choice, it should be that way in America. But when Christians stand up and they say that the Muslim faith or the Hindu faith or this other faith is equal to God, shame on them. They make themselves an enemy to God. 
Understand, he is drawing a line in the sand, people. Just like that first word. This will not be like any other time on this earth. It will be different. Because it will no longer be tolerated. Those who say, my God is a portion of the other gods, and we can just kind of give him some time here and give him some time there. Oh, wow, God, I declare, I declare that one day in the years to come, even in the military, the chaplains will not be multi-faith. The chapels will not be multi-faith. They will be one faith and they will be the faith that sees you as God and God alone and Jesus as your son and your only son who died on the cross for our sins. For this will be done in this country. This will be done in the world. What side of the line are you going to come up on? Because that's not in the distant future, guys. I could tell you, for us, that line's already been there. You're choosing right now which side of that line you're going to be on. And God will separate out those who do not allow Him to wake them up morning by morning to give His will. Why? Because He's not going to ignore the cries of his bride any longer. He's not going to ignore those who have suffered as Isaiah did, walking in his will, wanting so desperately Revelation 3.9 to come about. He's not going to delay it any longer. And anything less than giving him everything will place you on a side of that line that you don't want to be on. But see, it's your choice. It's your choice. It's not a matter of, well, I'd like portions of this. Now, now, guys, understand, I am not talking about your ticket to heaven. I'm not talking about your justification, what we typically call salvation. I'm talking about that there is a line being drawn in the sand now because his bride needs to be readied. And in his bride cannot be any fragment that is in disunity. It can't. That's why that servant that hid the one mina That's why he was sent out. If you read the Greek there, it's sent out into the dark... Well, the the words there say sent into the outer darkness where there's gnashing of teeth. In reality, it says into the less light. If you study the Greek there, it's into the less light where you're not going to be happy. Why? Because you're going to realize what it could have been in your own life. Just like when you stand before the beam and see the Christ, you're going to realize what could have been and the choices that you have or that you had because beam and is after we die. 
Right? That's right. She gets it. But I'm telling you, he's drawing the line. And he's drawing the line as we speak. That's the move that began in that second word on the East Coast and moves all across and throughout the globe. Because he said, choose whom this day you will serve. See, he's not just talking about choose to believe I'm Jesus and get saved and then get to do what you want. And that'll get you to heaven. It will. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, choose whom you will serve. Because I got something for you that I can only give someone who's in relationship to me. And it's the precious gift of his Holy Spirit. See, when the Holy Spirit, when we get saved, the Holy Spirit seals our spirit. Okay? That's different than the gift of the Holy Spirit. You see, in John 20, Jesus blew on his disciples and he said, now receive the Holy Spirit. They were then sealed, but they certainly weren't indwelt. Because Peter still did some stupid things. But then Pentecost came and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And it was a whole different ball game. It was a different story. The gift that Jesus gave in the, in the Holy Spirit was extraordinary. And, and see, I don't know what it's going to look like when he does that with us. The only thing he has told me and told others that it's going to look different. So I can look at how it has been and say, okay, well, it'll be different than that. I could look at Toronto and say, it'll be different than that. I could look at Azusa and say, well, it'll be different than that. There might be elements that are the same, but it's going to be different. Now, I could tell you one way that he's told me it'll be different. It's not to draw in. Like, they've all been an implosion bomb. Do you know what an implosion bomb is? It's where it pulls everything in, right? Kind of opposite of what you think of as a bomb, if you think about it. See, the power of His Holy Spirit, when it falls, will be an explosion bomb. Because it will go out. By the way, that's our calling, guys. It's to go out. It's to spread. We're going to do that. When, when he falls on this church, it's going to go to other places and be spread. That's what he wants to do. Let's finish this up. Verse 10. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys his servant? If you are walking in darkness without a ray of light, trust in the Lord and rely on your God. Now, by the way, he was talking to Jews because whether they trusted in him or not, the God of Abraham was their God. He said, if you're walking in darkness without a ray of light, trust in the Lord and rely on your God. He said, but watch out, you who live in your own light and warm yourselves by your own fires. This is the reward 
you will receive from me. In, in essence, what he's saying is, this is the reward that the Lord has told me you will receive. You will soon fall down in great torment. He's drawing a line in the sand. He's asking whom you will serve. It says in the word of God, you cannot serve two masters. That's, that's that same parable. And it's interesting to me when he says who the two masters are. And this hit me so strong the other day. The other master was money. It wasn't Baal. You can't serve Baal and, and God. Okay, that's kind of an obvious one. Yeah. He said, you can't serve God and serve money. Okay, wait a second. Maybe that just applied to them. How, how does that apply to us? He's, see, the bride serves money every day. And, and they do it in a pseudo-righteous way. I mean, there are some that do it absolutely wrong. You know, they, they literally become pastors or ministry leaders for an income. Or to gain popularity or to gain some sort of, you know, profitable thing in their lives. That's, that's by far not, I mean, that one's pretty obvious that that's wrong. But I would say the majority of the church, and this breaks my heart, the majority of the global church serves money because they are controlled by money. Well, we can't do this outreach or this ministry because it's not in the budget. Now, I'm all for budgets, guys. I, I get that. I get their bills and all that stuff. And, and, I mean, ask any of the elders. We talk about that. That's, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about when the Lord tells you to do something, and you first turn and look and see, well, is that in the budget? I'm going to give a, an example that's going to be very offensive to somebody who watches this, potentially, if they watch it. See, I was part of the last church that I was part of. I, I was part of their vision team. And this is where things started to go wrong with us. I was sitting on this vision team, and, and we, we were sitting, I can't remember, maybe six, 600, 650 people, whatever it was. And, and our goal was to expand, to grow. You know, we wanted to be able to facilitate a thousand people. And what will that take to be able to facilitate a thousand people? Okay, well, well, one, I mean, we're, we're going to have to have you know, multiple services, you know, which the suggestion I had was to tear down the wall and have a bigger sanctuary. But that, that's not what I'm getting at. By the way, by the way, and you, I, I want to state this because I want you to hold me to it. To the best of my ability, and this is something the Lord has laid on my heart, we will not go to multiple services in a morning. I, we might like have one Friday night, Saturday night, and Sunday morning, and you know, whatever. We could do that. But to have one at 9 and then another one at 11, it's not going to happen if you have me as your pastor. It's not going to happen. Because I've been a part of too many churches that do that, and all it does is divide. That's all it's ever done. We may as well. How we will expand is we'll just start another campus. 
hey, awesome, we, we, you know, we need the space, good, let's take 400 of you, and let's go get this, it won't be a home then, I suppose, with 400 people, but, but let, let's, let's have this space over here, and let's, let's start it again, because there's space we could get over there. We're not going to break the unity of what God is building. But that, that, that wasn't part of my story, sorry. I just wanted to declare that. But we were trying to look at what, what was in our way of being able to facilitate a thousand people. And Wendy's going to resonate with this, because she was part of this. She, she and I were about the only ones. But the biggest problem was the parking. We didn't have it. We would literally have to double our parking. And my response in that meeting, okay, awesome. Um, let's look into that. And so he looked into it, and it was going to cost a little over a million dollars to expand our park, our parking. Now, keep in mind, this, this, I mean, we didn't even have a million dollar budget in a year. I, I want to say at this point, it was maybe like $600,000 budget or something. Million dollars was way out there. And I just remember the Lord was like, man, I could provide anything. And I remember talking to Wendy about it, didn't I? If I? Am I remembering that right? That was the line in the sand for that church. I was voted down. Oh, in fact, after the arguments, I think, I think most people wanted to do it, but we were voted down by one person. But it was the one person who could make the decision. And we didn't move forward with it. From that point, from that day, there was a shift. There was a shift to where it started dwindling down. And of course, I mean, you know the history of what, what all has happened here. So, so my point is, God is drawing a line in the sand. He's drawing it in your own life. He's drawing it in churches. He will draw it in all the churches around here and ultimately all the churches on this globe. Will you choose faith even when it doesn't make sense? Because see, it didn't make sense to say yes to that million-dollar expansion. It was like, I, I don't, we don't even know how to work that into the budget. My point is, who cares? Do you, and, and by the way, it doesn't mean you go out and borrow a million dollars. Do you know all we had to do was say, yes, Lord, we believe that is your will, and let's get the church praying for it. I guarantee you, if we would have spent six months on our knees praying for that, because it was something from the Lord, he would have provided the money. We would not have had to finance a dime. And we would have been able to move forward. That is how we will handle things at Ignition. Why? Because money's not our problem. I know somebody. We all do. He's really rich. I mean, yeah, he's got it in cattle, but still, he can sell some of those. Right? God gave me a picture of how we're going to buy Morrow's Road to the tune of $12 million. Not because we're going to have some great campaign to raise money. No, he showed me that there is a... I, and if I saw her sitting here, I would know her. There's this little girl. 
I'm going to guess she's about 11, maybe 12 years old. Long black hair all the way almost to the bottom of her back. And she gets healed at CHOP on the fifth floor. And her dad just happens to have some money. So much so to where 12 million to him was a weekend. And he says, what? And he's Muslim. He's not even from this country. So he doesn't care about the tax write-off. He just says, what, what, what do you need? What do you need? And, well, we, we need this building. We'll already be in a building, but that's how we're going to get Morrow's Road. Not some great fundraiser. Oh, my goodness. If you could, if you could replace faith with your best fundraiser, it'll nail it to the wall every time. That's the line that God's drawn in the sand. Which side will we be on? Which side will you be on? I can tell you which side we'll be on. What side will you be on? What side will your friends be on? What side are you gonna, are you gonna preach from? Let's just trust him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. We thank you and praise you, God. And Father, as I leave your chamber, I just say thank you. Thank you, Lord, for who you are. We worship you and we praise you and we declare our love for you. We declare our love for your Son. We declare our love for your Holy Spirit. And Father, I'll I'll say lastly, before I leave, send your Holy Spirit to fill the hungry mouths of your servants. We wait patiently, lovingly, drawing close to you. We worship you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, in Jesus' name, amen. Yeah, that was a heavy word. It's hard to know even uh, what to say after that, um, except that I, Greg's gift of faith that is often the 30,000 foot level, which is what I love because that's what it has to be to lead us forward. I want to remind you that it does start a step at a time. We will never make those kinds of decisions for this ministry will never be on board to do these big things in these big leaps. Neither will you in your life in these big leaps. If you don't take those little leaps, if you don't take those little steps. Yes. And, and so I think as we leave today, we need to be able to answer the questions. Why are you coming here? Why did you come to church this morning? The motivation of your heart is going to be an indicator of what kind of steps you'll take. See, we never know. It, you know, sometimes church and even maybe our devotional life fits into a routine that just is easy and it just chugs along. But then all of a sudden, God allows an upset. Our work schedule turns upside down. We suddenly have additional 
exams at school or, or we suddenly have a, an illness in a, in a family member that we now have to care for and all of a sudden our schedule turns upside down and all these good things we were doing for the Lord now we no longer do because now it's hard. And I'll guarantee you this, our group here, if we've given the Lord our yes, he will put our money where our mouth is. Amen. He will test it. Yeah. And out of his love, um, I often would smile in through the years in fitness training when somebody would come to me and say, I would really like for you to be my trainer. And they say their goal and what they wanted. And it got to be where I would just smile because those that I started with, I found out real quick how serious they were because it's all wonderful and this altruistic view of, okay, this is my destiny and where I want to go. But it really looks different when you're doing your 100th crunch yeah. and your back starts throbbing and you feel like you're going to just vomit. How much in the game are you then? Yeah. And some of us in our lives are there. Yeah. We're experiencing difficult, difficult things. We know, we know what Peter and Lindsay are dealing with now with little Uriah. We know yeah. Jeff and Carson in the hospital right now as we speak. Many others of us facing things that, that some don't, nobody maybe even knows about, the battle in our life. And that is, that answering the questions as to who God is to us in those moments is what will bring you to the big steps of faith. And you know, every time I hear Greg's gift of faith coming out in these declarations, I hear the hits. I hear the hits against him um, in terms of, of the other way to look at it. And, well, you just take those steps because you, you know, arrogantly can't work with others. And so you're, you know, you're making it sound spiritual. All the different criticisms. All you have to know is what God said to me. It's just like, I know that I'm saved. And I don't have to prove to anybody that I'm saved. God is my defender. He will vindicate me. I need to know whom I, who I believe and what I believe and, and then walk with him and let him take care of it. And so today, um, ask yourself those questions because some of us have some trials that are just about upon us that we've not experienced quite yet. And, and I don't, remember, the persecution is meant, the refining fire is meant to really build our faith. But some of you, I, I just wanna encourage you that if God is gonna give you a little twist in your schedule or a little challenge with a family member or a little something around the corner, uh, maybe even with your health, God is gonna use it to strengthen you, but, but he really wants you, not others, he wants you to know who he is with you. Yeah. And so that's why he allows these things. And so, um, but remember, he just does it out of his love. And even, even what we experienced on our recent trip and some of the challenges that we faced, God showed me a level of my relationship with him that I don't think I could have seen if I hadn't faced some of those difficult things, conversations or things said to me. And I was thankful it was hurtful in the experience of the trial, but I was thankful because I was like, there's a resolve there that I didn't even know was there. That as I take these little steps, God showed me you're ready for that next big step. Now I'm not fully, fully ready because every day he readies me in one way or another. We don't know all what he's going to ask us to do, but oftentimes 
It's just going to be in the little steps. And so if right now it doesn't take much in your schedule, or it maybe doesn't take much of a criticism or much of a relationship challenge to throw you off and, okay, well, yeah, that happened and that's why I, you know, I, I missed that or, oh, that happened and that's why I haven't been on the prayer call for two weeks. If you can't make faith decisions in the little things, you'll never make them in the big things. That's just a reality. Amen. And so I go back and read these Isaiah verses again. But then ask yourself, am I able to take my little steps of faith so that when the big ones come, do I believe God to tithe? Because I'll tell you what, we need our needs met. We want our cars paid off. We want our finance. We want God to provide. But yet when it comes to tithing, it's like we just, we're paralyzed. It's like we're choking to give God what really he, flip it upside down, he gave us 90%. We just, we just give him back 10 and some more. Some of you give more. But those are the moments when you find out what kind of faith steps you're going to take, okay? And so, you know, I just want to encourage you, answer those questions. Answer those questions because it is around the corner. And we, um, what we're about to experience, it really will be worth it. I think of that old, old hymn, it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Um, Life's trials will seem so small when we see him. Anyway, if you don't know the song, it doesn't resonate, but I'm not going to sing it for you now. Um, I want to thank Jeff 